Take your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Philippians, chapter number 4. Philippians, chapter number 4. I am uh, so glad that you are here today. And uh, Philippians, chapter number 4. Uh, thank you uh, for all those that uh, have mentioned to us uh, in our absence last week that uh, you missed us and things like that. We did have a good time. Uh, it was weird, though, because I woke up Sunday morning and I asked my wife, what do I do now? Because it's like five in the morning, which is when I normally get up on a Sunday. And uh, I kind of looked at her and she said, um, well, we're on vacation. And I said, I don't know how that's going to do well with me on Sunday. And so up until about 1230, I got nothing accomplished. And then after that, someone texted me and said, we missed you today, but we had a great day. And I thought, okay, we're good. Now we can have vacation again. And uh, so, uh, but we had a good time away and uh, thank you for praying for us. Uh, somebody told me this morning that they did not approve my vacation, <laughs> that it had to go through a committee. I didn't know we had a vacation committee, but I found out we did. And uh, so uh, next time I'll have to get them to sign off on it. And, uh, but uh, no, we had a good time and uh, it was great to uh, get away for a little bit. Uh, today, uh, for the next two weeks, I want to speak to you on a subject uh, that uh, has been really uh, plaguing my mind and, and, and on my heart uh, and uh, something that I believe that God would have for us today out of Philippians chapter number four uh, it, it is uh, entitled A Beautiful Mind. You know, we, we live in a, a society of, of rushing around and things that are happening and all of a sudden events happen in our life and it puts us in a, in a stopping point and, and it, it halts all of our lives and we wonder how are we going to overcome them. And uh, the truth of the matter is, is that the way that we overcome them is by allowing God uh, to work in and through our minds. And our minds are a very unique, uh, a very unique uh, thing that we have as, a, as an individual. Our minds can race at times. Our minds can sometimes, especially for men, our wives will say, what are you thinking about? And we can literally say, nothing. They'll say, you've got to be thinking about something. And they're like, no, nothing. There's nothing up there. And uh, our minds, though, uh, are very emotional. Uh, they, they bring emotions in our lives. And, and uh, our mind is consumed. And if we're not careful, our minds can be consumed with the wrong things. And our minds can, can, can get uh, on things that are not acceptable in God's sight, especially when it comes to worry, when it comes to fear, when it comes to other things in our lives. And so for the next two Sundays, this is a two-part message. So if you're here this Sunday, you're required to be here next Sunday. Just take that down. And uh, so that you get the whole, there's five points, and uh, we're going to cover two of them today, and then we'll cover the next uh, three next week. I want you to know one other thing before I get started today is on March the 6th, uh, I really want you to begin praying about and, and inviting your friends and family. Uh, we are going to begin our missions emphasis week, and we have a very unique missionary that's going to be with us on March the 6th. His name is Irfan Abdulatif. And uh, Arfan is a missionary uh, to Iraq. He, he is born and raised, or not raised, but he was born in Iraq. Uh, he uh, knows all about um, being a Muslim. He knows all about what it means uh, and the culture over there in Iraq. And he's going to be here. Uh, he is a missionary uh, to Iraq, to the refugees. And uh, he, uh, he is uh, uh, doing a lot of wonderful things. There are some things that he cannot express what he's doing for the safety of him and other individuals. But there are a lot of things that he can share with us. And uh, you're going to want to be here for that. Uh, that's Sunday morning, uh, March the 6th. And then Sunday evening on March the 6th. I know we normally don't have an evening service. But on Sunday evening, he was gonna, he's going to be back with us. We're going to have 
have desserts with him, and you're going to be able to, it's going to be like an open forum. You're going to be able to ask him questions. Um, and so you uh, think about that. It's going to be a wonderful day. You're not going to want to miss, and we'll talk more about that week, but I wanted you to remember that, if you will. Philippians chapter number four um, is where we're at today. If you can punch that next slide, it is not connected to me. Uh, we live in a unique era of history that literally vibrates with stimulants and uh, innuendos with choice and inundates us with choices. Some argue that we have embraced previously unknown levels of stress inducers, and that is why we struggle to cope. Truthfully, we do live in stressful times. We certainly do live in a stressful environment. And left unchecked, this is, this is where we're at today, stress and its companion of worry overcome our thoughts, it rules our emotions, and it will compromise our health. We, we live in a very stressful society. We live in a very stressful environment. And if we're not cautious, if we're not careful, it will begin to, to inundate our lives. It will begin to overtake our lives. And, and emotion and stress will ruin us if we're not careful. If we were honest, there are some stresses that, that are self-induced that we can't avoid if we would just restructure our time and our priorities. I remember being in Bible college, and I remember uh, at the beginning of the year, our professors, they'd give us this thing called a syllabus. How many of you know what a syllabus is? All right, they tell you. Now listen, in, in, in nine weeks, you have a 35-page paper due. Be like, that's great. And I'd take that syllabus and I'd put it aside. And you know what? Nine weeks goes a lot quicker than you think it does. Because it would be the night before, and I'd look at that computer, and it was blank. And I would be stressed. I would be worried. You know, and then you stay up all night long, and, and you, and you uh, begin to start writing that paper and writing all the things, and then you finally get to like 6 in the morning, and you're printing it off, and you don't even know if you can read it. Self-induced stress. There are a lot of things in our lives that we do that are self-induced, if we were honest with each other. But my, my focus today is, but what about the stresses that come into our lives in which we have no control over? Sickness in our families. A loss of a job. Uncontrollable events that keep us awake at night. There is nothing that we can do to change them, but neither... Can we ignore them? Many of you sitting under my voice today, uh, just based upon conversations, phone calls, emails, sitting in my office, are facing right now situations in your life that, that these are, are, are things that have happened that you have no control over. And you are feeling quite stressful and you're feeling uh, uh, like, like the, literally the walls are caving in on you. So how do you handle those situations? Because we know we can't change them and we certainly know that we cannot avoid them. Everyone handles stress in his or own, her own way. However, there are two basic responses to stress that encompass a variety of subset responses. They are simply either negative or positive. You either handle your stress in a negative way or you handle your stress in a positive way. Some people handle stress and they get angry. Some people handle stress and, and, and they isolate themselves. Others handle stress and realize that, you know what, God is in control and there's nothing that I can do so I'm going to leave it all in his hands. But basically everything falls into those two categories. Negative responses to stress include that all too common lifestyles of our frenzied society becoming critical of others. 
You know, when we find ourselves having stress, so many times the people that are closest to us are the ones that we hurt the, the most. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? I'm going to tell on myself. I'm not going to tell on you because you wouldn't want me to do that. But many times when stress comes in my life, it, it, the honest truth is, is that the people that are closest to me are the ones that, that get it. The ones that, that are faced with, with, the, with, with the brunt of it, if I could use that statement. Because certainly we don't want to take it out on everybody else. So, so instead, of, instead of allowing a positive response, we become, we become critical of others. We begin to hide in our own workplaces and, and we become sheltered. We begin abusing substances. We begin expecting sympathy. And we begin living without balance or margin in our life. It becomes very critical when we have a negative response to stress. Step, stepping back to look at the big picture, these responses do not provide a long-term solution. The truth is, is that they may alleviate the pressure for just a few moments. Uh, but ultimately, they create more problems of their own. And they rob our hearts of peace. Now let me stop here for a moment and kind of just expand on this and give you some thoughts. When we talk about stress and we talk about stress-induced factors and we talk about our life and how we respond to them, we have to make a choice every time a situation happens in our life. We have to make the choice of how we're going to respond. We have to make the choice of if we're going to respond in a, in a positive or in a negative way. And the truth is, is that as we begin to, to be faced with these, how we respond is going to dictate, it's going to factor the next stress that comes in our life. Because I have never been in a situation where stress came in my life that something else didn't come on top of it. Have you ever been there? And then that comes there, and then all of a sudden something else gets on top of that. And then you go there, and something else gets on top of that. Let me give you an example. Just happened this morning. This morning I get here to church. Everything's going well. We begin to have a little hiccup here, a little hiccup there. My phone rings. I never like answering my phone on Sunday morning. But I look at it, and it's my wife. I answer the phone, hello, my car is dead. It's Sunday morning. I, you know, of all the things that I want to worry about on Sunday morning, it's not a car. <laughs> so, but the truth is, is that we have to resolve it. We got to make a choice. I had to make a choice at that moment. Either I was going to get mad, and I was going to get angry about the circumstance and situation, and I was going to have a hard time preaching, because it's not good to preach while you're mad. Right? Or, I'm going to say, you know what, it's okay. It really is Okay. Because the truth of the matter is, is that one day a car is going to break. It just happened to be on Sunday. And it's okay. For you, it'd be Monday morning. And you'd walk outside and you'd turn that car. And you've got a choice to make. You can either get upset or you can call your boss and say, I'm not coming in today, Hallelujah. Whatever you need. Stress-induced. How are you going to respond to it? The answer to confronting stress and anxious thinking is to renew our minds. Not just change them. There, there's a huge difference in renewing your mind and changing your mind. Long before modern science discovered our thoughts create physical and emotional responses, God's word provided the answer for handling stress. And it's in one verse, and it sums it all up. Romans chapter number 12. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye, are you guys awake this morning? Be not conformed to this world, but be ye, 
transformed, transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may, what's the next word? Prove that what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We go through seasons of trials. On top of these, we are weighed down with the burden of feeling that we have too much to do and not enough time to do it. We have all those pressures and all those things. And then we go through cycles. Have you ever been through this cycle of entrusting our worries and fears to the Lord, picking them up again, entrusting them to the Lord, picking them up again, entrusting them to the Lord, picking them up again? You know the cycle, right? Lord... I give it all to you today, and then tomorrow, how am I going to fix it? What am I going to do? Oh, Lord, I give it all to you today, and how am I going to... We go through these cycles. Listen, our, our ultimate uh, uh, goal, our ultimate job in life, our ultimate response in life is just to entrust them to the Lord. It amazes me. It amazes me that we trust God with our salvation, but we have a hard time entrusting Him with anything else. Right? We trust God that, that He saved me and that I'm going to go to that place called heaven, but I can't trust Him with my wallet. I can't trust Him with my things. I can't trust Him with my family. I can't trust Him with my life, but I trust Him with eternity. Listen to me, church. We've got to entrust everything to Him because He can take care of it. In order to overcome these patterns and find victory in our lives, we need to turn to the Lord and find refuge in Him and in His Word. If you have your Bibles, if you'll stand with me, Philippians chapter number 4. This is a very familiar passage of Scripture. And uh, the thoughts that I'll give you today are probably not anything new, but I just hope they're a a re-encouragement to you as we think about our mind in response to God. Philippians chapter number 4 Starting in verse number four, the Bible says this. Rejoice in the Lord. What's the next word? Only when I feel like it. No, no. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says this. And again, I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your what? Minds through Christ Jesus. And then one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, verse number 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think. On these things. Our Father in heaven, Lord, I pray that you'll bless the reading of your word. Lord, I pray that you'll bless the few moments that we have together today. And Lord, I pray that you will encourage us as we think about this idea of our mind and how we can literally uh, may have to reprogram ourselves a little bit in order to handle the issues of life. Lord, I pray that today that someone here will be encouraged and strengthened. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you're in the habit of taking notes, on the back of your bulletin, there's an outline. Number one, how are we to think? First of all, we're to think with praise. We're to think with praise. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. We are to think with praise. We are programmed in our lives based upon uh, television, based upon uh, many other factors in our lives. Unfortunately, we are programmed to think negatively. 
Are you with me? If you watch TV programs at all, and there's becoming more and more of a pattern in, in television, and I'm not against television, so don't think that I'm preaching against it, but I'm just telling you a pattern. There always seems to be a problem, and then there seems to be a solution. But it always starts with a problem. And when we look at any kind of television that we're watching or anything that we're doing in our lives, we have a tendency to be programmed to respond negatively to circumstances in our lives. It is not a natural response to think, you know what, this has happened in my life and it's okay. How do I reprogram that? How do I change that? Well, the first thing that you have to do is we have to change our thought pattern. We have to stop thinking that everyone and everything is against us and remember that God is for us, so who can be against us? I mean, he's the one that's in control. He's the one that we have to think about. If we're thinking about God and we're thinking about his praise, whenever situations come into our lives, we can truly say, you know what? God knew this was going to happen. God is in control of this. And because God is in control of it, I'm going to praise him in the midst of it. Although our stress factors are different than those in the first century, stress itself is nothing new. I begin to think about this. You know, the Christians at the church in Philippi, which is uh, the book of Philippians was written to, were living their faith in the midst of Roman culture that shunned, ridiculed, and even condemned Christianity. They were faced with stress. You say, what kind? Roman Christians were persecuted and martyred by the thousands if you look in biblical history. They were imprisoned, they were crucified, they were burned alive, they were fed to wild beasts. Now you want to talk about stress. You want to talk about anxiety. This church was well acquainted with it. They were well acquainted with the fact that at any moment they could be martyred, they could be burnt at the stake, they could be fed to wild beasts because of their faith. I don't know any of us that are facing this type of anxiety in our lives. But certainly anxiety was happening and anxiety was coming. And it was to this church that the Apostle Paul penned God's prescription for peace. To this church that was facing this terrible persecution. Though the, uh, through the words that were read to you this morning in Philippians chapter number 4, these Christians would find encouragement to persevere and admonishment. This is where I want to go with this. To think what? Biblically. To think biblically. When we're in the midst of circumstances and we're in the midst of troubles in our lives, it's important that we begin to think biblically. We do not rely upon our own uh, uh, measure of hope. We rely upon the biblical truths of the word of God. And it's important whenever we go through these trials that we we don't rely upon ourselves, but rather we think biblically so that we can persevere and be admonished letter a the object of praise the object of praise changing our mindset from thinking literally in a secular sense in a negative sense to being able to think biblically what does that mean if the command in philippians 4 4 think about this for a moment were to rejoice in our circumstance we could reasonably use the excuse that many people often employ i'm just not wired that way And it's not wired that way to think in a positive way. But the truth is the command to rejoice is not rooted in our circumstances. Did you hear me? 
The command to rejoice is not based on our circumstances. It is rooted in the infinite goodness of God. It is, that is where it's rooted at. It's rooted in the infinite goodness of God. Let me give you an example. And, and this, this happened just a, a little while ago. You know, I have three boys and my middle son, Samuel. We have been to theme parks before. Samuel would go to these theme parks and uh, his older brother would say, let's get on a roller coaster. And my Samuel would look at those roller coasters and he'd be like, no way. I mean, we'd get close to the sign and he'd break down. He didn't want to go on that roller coaster. Why? Because of a couple of reasons. Number one, as the people go through the roller coaster, what are they doing? They're screaming, so it can't be fun. It can't be fun. The second problem is, is how fast that thing is going. It's moving. So you look at it and say, no. Well, once too long ago, we decided to go to the theme park. and We get on this roller coaster and he's deciding whether or not he wants to go. And we use the old peer pressure. This is a baby roller coaster. You know what I mean. So he gets, and we get up there, and you get closer and closer in line, and he's getting more anxious. How fast does it go, Dad? Is it going to go upside down? You know, all kinds of questions. So we get up, and it's our turn. And you get inside, and they put you in, and they strap you in. And he looks at me, and he says, I don't know, Dad. I said, well, it's a little too late for that, bud. And you hear that sound and they release those brakes, and off we go. Now, this was a, a, a kid's roller coaster. And so we began to make our way through this little castle, and it's got all kinds of fun stuff, and then we go out of it, and the roller coaster starts, and then we start up the hill. Click, 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 click. Dad, yeah? And he's, I mean, he's white as a ghost. We get to the top of that thing, and it doesn't really take a dip. It kind of just, you know, goes around. We're riding through that thing, and I got this inkling. I think I'll just start screaming. <laughs> We're having fun, you know? So I start yelling, Woo! You know, he's big eyes. But I'll never forget, we rounded the last corner. And you know how right when you get to the end of the roller coaster, they hit the brakes again? I'll never forget this. You can ask him. He turned over to me and he said, Dad, that was awesome. <laughs> Dad, that was awesome. I said, yeah, that was a lot of fun. He's breathing heavy. <gasps> Dad, that was awesome. We got off the thing. We're headed out. The- Dad, think we go again? <laughs> now, in his mind, we went upside down. We did a corkscrew. We did all kinds of stuff, and we never, I mean, we just went straight. That's all we did. What happened? He faced the fear, and he found out that in the end, it wasn't what he had expected it to be. Are you following me? Here we are, and we get to our circumstance, and we're like, No, God, don't allow that to happen in my life. How could you? And then, and then we get on the ride. And we begin to see when it's all over with. And we look back and we go, wow. Look at what God did 
But can I tell you something? Listen to me, church. Listen to me. If you never get on, you'll never be able to experience the end. You'll never be able to experience it. Listen, our joy is not rooted in the circumstances. It's rooted in the infinite goodness of God that never changes. I am God. I change not. Deuteronomy chapter 10 says, He is thy praise and he is thy God that hath done for thee these great and terrible things which thine eyes have seen. We often rejoice when we get a raise. We often rejoice when we develop a new relationship or acquire some kind of fun toy or find a fulfilling hobby. Joy, however, do you see this? Joy is not an emotional response to circumstances. It is better than that. Joy is the heart's response when we choose to obey God's command to rejoice in Him. That's what joy is. The deeper your relationship with God and the fuller your understanding of who He is, the the more reasons you will have to rejoice in Him. We praise God not because everything is going well, but because He is God and He is good. We rejoice in the Lord. That's what we do. Not only the object of praise, but number two, the opportunity of praise. The opportunity of praise. Most of us would be good with the command to rejoice in the Lord if we could pick or choose the days to do it, right? Today's a good day to rejoice, but I don't know about tomorrow, right? We don't get to choose that. The problem is that there is that one meddlesome word in the command that disallows that choice. He said, always. Always. We are to rejoice in the Lord always. That's what we're supposed to do. Even on our worst days, even when we get bad news, even when the car will not start. Funny part is I put that in before this morning. Even when the children are testing our last shred of patience, even when we get a bad report from the doctor, even when we have more month than we have money, We are to always rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. The apostles knew how to rejoice in the Lord, even when they were persecuted for preaching the gospel. These apostles were ordinary men just like us. They left the pain and the humiliation of being unjustly accused and mistreated, yet they rejoiced. You say, Pastor, can you show that to us? Sure. Acts chapter number 5, the Bible says, And they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted, what's the next word? Worthy to suffer shame for his name. They counted it's worthy to suffer shame for his name. How could they possibly respond that way? The apostles, listen, carried such a high view of Christ that they rejoiced in anything that was attached to his name. Wow. Wait a minute. You say, Pastor, is that still true today? First Peter says it this way. Beloved, think it not strange, the fiery trials which are to try you. For as much as you know, you are partakers in Christ suffering. In other words, what God is saying is, hey, don't think it's odd. Don't think it's strange that you have trials in your life because your trials are a reflection of who God is 
and what he's done for us in our lives. Psalm chapter 28, verse number 7, one of my favorite verses. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart, what? Trusted in him. And I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoiceth. And with my song, I will praise him. Rejoicing in the Lord is the right choice, not only because God commanded us, but also because it's good for us. The Bible says, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. That's right. Dr. Hart said it this way. Anxiety and laughter cannot coexist. Boy, I think that's so true. Anxiety and laughter cannot coexist. So number one, we're to think with praise. Number two, and I'm going to be wrapping it up. Number two, think with poise. Think with poise. Think with praise, and then think with poise. Now, this is where really it gets down to be a more practical application. Thinking with poise. It would be hard enough to think with praise if the only opponent uh, was difficult circumstances. But we have a real and active enemy who constantly works to undermine our hope. Don't we? I feel like that the enemy sometimes is in overdrive. Sometimes I feel like the enemy only has my number. Oh, you feel that way too, huh? You know, he constantly works to... Listen, this this is important. He works to undermine our hope. He's not working. I, I, I think this is important for us to understand. He's not working to ruin our lives. Do you understand that? The, the enemy is not concerned for my life. The enemy is concerned about my hope. There is a huge difference. Because you know what? He can't have my life. Because God has covered me by the blood of Jesus Christ. He cannot have me. But he can try to take away my hope. He can try to take away my joy. And that's what he tries to do. He tries to undermine our hope. The enemy is a master. He's a master at planting thoughts in our minds uh, that accuse or belittle us. He is an expert at suggesting that, that negative in our lives is our fault. Have you ever felt that way? you ever felt like as the walls are crashing in around us, you begin to try to find the reason? You begin to try to find who can I blame? Who's at fault here? you ever done that? But I can tell you story after story about people that have come and talked to me. And they've ended up with cancer in their lives. So they've ended up with a death in their life. And they're, they're, they're looking at me and they're saying, it's all my fault. Excuse the southern terminology, but that's hogwash. It is not your fault. That is the enemy trying to tell you it's your fault. Life is life. We cannot prevent the circumstances in our lives. We can't. What we've got to realize is the enemy is trying to remove our hope. He's trying to undermine our hope by allowing negative thoughts in our lives and blame. Revelation chapter 12, verse number 10. This is a very pivotal passage of scripture. This passage of scripture is is really the description of who the enemy is. And I really want you to understand this before we leave this morning. And I, I, I may feel like I'm harping on this, but I think it's important that we understand it. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, 
Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ. Here it comes. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Let me read it to you again in the middle part of that verse. For the accuser of our brethren, who is that? It's the enemy. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them. Who's them? The saved, the believers, you and I, who accused them before our God. How often? Day and night. He is working overtime. Do you see that? The enemy, its self-determined role, is the accuser of the brethren. And he makes it his business to steal our joy and to magnify our stress. That's what he does. And as a matter of fact, he does it so often, he does it day and night, the Bible says. He accuses the brethren. So what's the answer to the bombarding lies of the enemy? The answer is to think with moderation or to think with poise. You say, what does that mean, Pastor? Philippians chapter 4, verse number 5. We read it at the beginning of our message today. Let your moderation be made known, or excuse me, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Think with moderation or think with poise. Moderation means seeming, suitable, equitable, fair, mild, or gentle. In other words, it is a sweet reasonableness that maintains commitment and joy. Uh oh, here it is. Regardless of our circumstances. It is living with poise. Have you ever heard somebody say this? Boy, he really held it together. Boy, he really, he really got, held it together in that difficult circumstance. That's poise. That's moderation. That is not allowing your circumstances to rule your joy. It is saying that, you know what? There is a sweet reasonableness that maintains contentment. If we were honest with ourselves, most of us are never truly content in God alone. We worry about our accomplishments. We worry about what others think of us, their perception of us. Our minds are consumed with the condemning lies of the enemy or the anxiety of our own insecurities. We are so concerned about what other people think. We are so concerned about the perception that people have. We are so concerned about our accomplishments that we never find ourselves truly content in God alone. Paul said it this way, In whatsoever state I am, therewith will I be content. Content. Do you know where he was at when he penned those words? He was in prison. Now, when you think about prison, we're not talking about the prison that's right here off Noonan Road. We're talking about a cold place. The shackles around his legs and around his arms. We're talking about a place where he received one meal a day. We're talking about a place where he was beat daily. This wasn't some wonderful event that was taking place. Paul said it it this way. Listen, it doesn't matter what state I'm in. I'm going to be content. Don't worry about what other people think about you. 
Don't worry about your accomplishments. Rest in God alone. First of all, we're to rest in his security. We're to rest in his security. Poise cannot be rushed. It's only acquired when we take time to wait on God. When we take time to wait on God. Psalms chapters 46 and verse number 10, the Bible says, Be still and know that I am God. Poise. As we spend time in God's presence, His peace sweeps into our souls and wraps us in secure confidence that He is on our side. Psalm chapter 56 and verse number 9. When I cry unto thee, then shall my enemies turn back. For this I know, for God is for me. God is for me. Hebrews chapter 13. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things that you have. For he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what men shall do. Unto me. Waiting time is not wasted time. Waiting time is not wasted time. It renews our souls, refocuses our energy toward investing in that which really matters. I really want you to get this if you haven't gotten anything else out of my message. Activity is not the mark of accomplishment. Activity is not the mark of accomplishment. We find ourselves today busier than ever. Busier than ever. What is the mark of accomplishment? It's not our activity. It's doing what God's will is for my life. Give me an example. I'm going to pick on him, and he's going to be mad at me later, and that's okay. My 13-year-old son loves to play basketball. Now, when you watch basketball... They have all kinds of fancy moves. They can dribble that ball behind their back. They can dribble that ball through their legs. They can jump up and take the ball and put it under their legs and slam it. They can do all this kind of stuff. And you get up there and you start uh, 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 playing basketball. And all of a sudden, all these fancy moves start coming out. You know, He'll do all kinds of stuff. And I'm impressed, I'm going to be honest with you. Because I'm not coordinated enough to do any of it. All right? It looks good. All right? I'm just going to be honest with you. He can do all kinds of It looks good. But let me ask you a question. Is that how you win the game? You win the game by putting the ball in the basket. This is what I often tell him. Because of the way he dribbles and plays, and I'm not just picking on him. It's with, uh, you watch the NBA, that's the way they are. They come up with new basketball moves all the, kind of, all the time. And what you find out is they lose the ball. They turn it over. If you look at history, it's interesting. I did just a quick research. If you look at history, the turnovers in the NBA have multiplied 10 times over the past 25 years. And the reason is, is because there's activity without accomplishment. They make it look good, but they can't put it in the hoop by bouncing it between their legs. Are you with me? Listen to me, it doesn't matter how busy you are. If you're not doing God's will, you won't win it. If you're not doing what God wants you to do, there will not be victory. Activity is not the mark of accomplishment. Sometimes we simply need to step out of the traffic and rest for a little while. 
Sometimes we just need to refocus our mind. Let her be rest in his sovereignty, and I'm done. We need to rest in his sovereignty. The sovereignty of God. You know, before I go there, uh, we often use this word sovereignty, and I, I'm, I'm concerned. Because the more that I preach and the more that I teach, the more that I realize that we use doctrinal terms that people don't know what they mean. And so as I'm studying this, I, 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 I made the point, rest in his sovereignty. And I went through the whole, uh, what you're about to get. And I got to the end and I thought to myself, do we even know what that word means? Do we know what it means to have a sovereign God? And, and I think it's important doctrinally that we understand what sovereignty means. Because sovereignty is who God really is. Let me give you the definition. The sovereignty of God means that he has... Total control of all things, past, present, and future. Now let me stop there because I want to make sure you understand. God has control of everything. Now don't get mad at me, alright? But I'm going to tell you something. God had control of the disaster that happened in your life. God had control of the disasters that have happened in America. God has control over the disasters that have happened uh, over the seas. If you've been studying with us on Wednesday nights, the book of Revelation, you find out that God is in control and is the mastermind behind all the disasters that are going to happen during the tribulation. God is in control of all things. God is also in control of the wonderful bonus that you got at the end of the year. God is also in control of anything else good that's happened to you. God is in control. He's in control of things that happened in the past, the things that have happened in the present, and the things that have happened in the future. You say to me, you pastor, you really believe that God allows things that happen in our life that hurt us and harm us and, 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 and bring a, a heartache to us? Absolutely. God is in control. Don't get mad at me. Now, who's the orchestrator of it? the enemy can you prove it go to the book of Job you'll find out that Job uh, uh, literally everything in his life got taken away from him who orchestrated it the enemy orchestrated it he had to go before God and ask permission God granted it and the things happened in his life God is sovereign everything that happens God knows about nothing happens that is out of his knowledge and control all things are either caused by him or allowed by him for his own purpose and through his perfect will and his perfect timing. God is sovereign. Job knew a level of pain that few of us will ever experience. Even a quick read of the dialogue recorded in the book of Job uh, reveals that Job was hurting and confused. However, through the fog of confusion and darkness of despair, Job found peace in remembering God's sovereignty. Job chapter 23 and verse number 10. But he knoweth the way that I take... When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. I shall come forth as gold. When our thoughts are flooded with confusion and the trials are mounting, remember, you can walk through your trial with poise because God is sovereign. He sees you. He knows all about your needs. And he is in control. There is, however, a caveat to finding poise in God's sovereignty. And I really want you to get this. It is a rock-solid belief that God is good. If you believe that God is good and loving, His sovereignty will bring comfort to your soul. 
But if you doubt his motives or question his wisdom, you will miss the security of his sovereignty. I've heard people say this to me. Why is God allowing this to happen in my life? It's all about perspective. If you believe that God is good, then you know everything is going to be okay. But if you question God's motives and you question God's will, then you do not understand God's sovereignty. God is in control. Let me remind you of something. And if you kind of like, wow, I've never heard that before. Let let me explain something to you real fast and I'm going to move on. God is in control, okay? But I want to remind you of something. This is only temporary life. All of our circumstances that we are facing are temporary. They will come to an end. And then you will experience the true presence of God in your life. Because to be absent from the body if you're saved is what? Be present with the Lord. It's all just temporary. Your state of mind, Randy Alcorn said this way, your state of mind determines whether the doctrine of God's sovereignty comforts you or whether it threatens you. The question today is, are you waiting on the Lord? Are you finding rest in him or are you caught up in the noises of life? May I remind you one more time, activity is not the mark of accomplishment. Doing the will of God is. Sometimes we simply need to step out of the traffic and rest for a little while. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Thank you so much for listening so well this morning.